And I remember as I left, as I was leaving the hospital that day, I got in my car and that song came on. And I remember I just sat in that hospital parking lot and was bawling my eyes out. Hi, it's Corey here, sharing a weird and scary twist from my past. And also a message of thanks. I'm not trying to drag everybody's spirits down on Turkey Day. So, during the final semester of my senior year in college, I contracted spinal meningitis over the Thanksgiving holiday and ended up close to death in the hospital from the day after Thanksgiving until the following Friday. This was 25 years ago, and I'm still extremely thankful to my family and chosen family for getting me through that awful illness. This was more than six years before I met Kendall. I was completing my major slash minor mass communication and creative writing projects, working part-time at a bookstore, penning a column for the student newspaper, and partying nearly every Thursday to Sunday night at karaoke bars and dance slash drag clubs. All that is the classic recipe for coming down with meningococcal. Lack of proper rest, surrounding yourself with hundreds of people every day who also aren't getting enough sleep. We were in a college incubator of infection. That said, I've always loved Thanksgiving break. Going back to high school, since any of us could legally drive, a group of pals always got together at Scott's house after the family stuff to hang in his party-like basement and stay up all night. And whatever time the stores would open on Black Friday, usually some ungodly before dawn hour, we'd pile in a car and head to Walmart. We weren't there to get good deals on TVs. We were there to gander and giggle at the oddballs who got up in the middle of the night to stampede into a store to save a few bucks. Also, 25 years ago, I did the family meal thing. I spent time with chosen family like Rachel and her parents and ended up at Scott's after dark. Around midnight or so, I was feeling extremely run down. I told the fellows, hey, I'm going to go home and rest for an hour or two, and I'll be back here before Black Friday. Well, I asked a couple of my favorite people to leave me voicemails about what happened next because I was not conscious for it. Here's my sister Rachel first because honestly, Without her, I wouldn't be here today. Hello, my name is Rachel Henna, and I'm Corey's baby sister, five years younger. I'll try not to make this too long, but the story is very close to me because it kind of surrounds what happened that day of Corey's diagnosis of meningitis. Everything happens for a reason. I'm a firm believer in that. I happened to be at work my senior year of high school and I worked at a November. There was that saying that we were short and didn't need a lot of people there. If somebody wanted to go home, they could. I didn't have a car that day. I think we were all sharing one throughout the family. I called my mom and said, please, 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 can I come home? The doctor said he doesn't need me. She didn't really want to have to come pick me up. She said, if she did come pick me up, the rule was I had to go out and rake all the leaves. So I got picked up, came home, raked all the leaves. My brother, Corey, who was home from college, just had the flu. I was out raking leaves, came in to use the bathroom, and I noticed he had his bedroom door open. He was sitting on the floor, 
And to me, it looked like he was just going through comic books, or I'm not sure. I so I was like, "Hey, Cor," and I went into the bathroom, and he did not say anything back to me. And like, okay, rude. I came out of the bathroom, and I said, "Hey," and he still didn't. And I kind of looked at him and could tell right away something was wrong. I went in his room, and it was like he was just staring right through me, but he could not see me. He was doing this strange thing with his arm, um, kind of just sitting there in boxer shorts. And, and I was like, Corey, Corey, almost like shaking him, trying to get him to respond to me and nothing. So I ran to get my middle brother and I like, Joe's like, I was Corey. I like, call mom. I was like, I'm not calling mom, I'm calling 911. So I called 911, and they tried to talk to me on the phone until they got there. But I was like, I can't, i got to call my mom. So I hung up on 911, called my mom, and her line was busy, and I kept trying to get through to her to work to let her know that the ambulance was coming. And since he was in his box of shorts, me and my other brother were trying to put a shirt on him to get him dressed and he had like superhuman strength so it was not easy we finally get like a shirt wrapped around his head maybe through one arm by then the ambulance showed up and they get him on a stretcher and they basically just cut his shirt off the work that we just put into it off and we finally got hold of my mom and she pulled up right as the ambulance was taking us away my First time I ever rode in the ambulance. Very interesting how they do the lights and everything. I was young and wasn't sure what was going on with my brother, but it wasn't that long before that that he had come out of the closet and told us that he was homosexual. I did tell the ambulance driver, I'm not sure if this is what's wrong with him or not, but he did tell us recently he's gay. Anyway, we get to the hospital and... They tell me just to sign over whatever I can. My mom hadn't made it there yet, so I signed whatever, just said, save them, do whatever you got to do, and uh, put me in a room to wait, and we did that night that it was uh, spinal meningitis and how serious it was, and I remember him being put in a drug-induced coma and going to the hospital each day. I remember the day before he woke up, like, holding his hand and talking to him and saying, if you can squeeze my hand, if you can hear me squeeze my hand. And I remember him, you know, actually squeezing my hand. And I remember being like, oh, my God, Mom, he can hear us. And, you know, that definitely gave me hope. Even though at that time me and my brother weren't very close, we fought a lot. You know, him trying to kind of act like the father figure to me after our father passed away and me being the rebellious teen who didn't want to listen. The next day he did wake up, and I remember when we finally got to bring him home, they still were going to have to have a home health nurse come in and give him IV fluid or some kind of medicine through an IV. And I was like, I know how to do that. I work at an animal hospital. And... I remember saving some some money by being able to inject my own brother like a dog. But anyway, they told us that he would 
probably have to be taught how to read and write and tie his shoes again. Not our Corey. He overcame and proved us all wrong on that. And then became one of my best friends. So I'm very, very grateful that we are celebrating 25 years later. I love you, brother. Bye. It's just weird hearing that. It's very heavy. I love you, Rach. Okay, not to slight my other sibling. Here's my stoic bro, Joe. This is Joe Stoltz, brother of Corey. When Corey was in a coma due to meningitis, it was definitely one of the saddest and darkest times for our family. We didn't know if he was going to live, if he was going to have permanent brain damage, or what the outcome was going to be. It was a very, very stressful, I, I don't remember if it was a week. I think it was around a week. I was just sort of in a catatonic state myself as I basically just worked every day and went to the hospital to be with my mom and sister and other people who were up there. Corey was unconscious. Um, at the time, I was working as a delivery driver. So I spent a lot of time alone driving around in my car, listening to music, thinking about <laughs> what it was what was going on in our life and whether or not my brother was going to survive. Um, and at that time I was obsessed with this Jimi Hendrix CD I had of rare and unreleased music. And I just played it constantly. I remember specifically there's this song, I think it was called Polly Gap might be pronouncing that wrong. And it was an instrumental, like an improvisational piece, very emotional song where Jimmy is just, solo and playing his heart out throughout this extended jam, I guess you could call it. Very, very emotional, melancholy piece of music. As I pretty much just had this CD playing constantly, every time this song would come on during the period when Corey was in a coma, I would just be overcome with this great sadness because it was such an emotional powerhouse of a song and it just put me in that zone of thinking about everything. So then, the day when Corey finally woke up, which was an incredibly joyous day for us all, we all met at the hospital, Corey was talking, you know, he was very confused, <laughs> and there was a little, little bit of work to do before we had our brother fully back, but he was awake, he was alive, he, he knew who we were, it was a very, very joyous day. And I remember as I left, as I was leaving the hospital that day, I got in my car, and that song came on. And I remember I just sat in that hospital parking lot and was bawling my eyes out. All right, I'm not trying to get too maudlin here, but the bond between the three of us grew tighter the moment we learned our father died. And yeah, I was an a-hole for the next several years thinking I needed to take over the dad role, but I didn't. Mom was more than enough parent for the three of us. I'm happy to say that now we are three peas in a pod and always will be. There's something magical and mystical when it's just the three of us stole siblings. I can't believe the three of us haven't been arrested together, honestly. Okay, here's where my chosen family comes into play. At the tender age of 21 and newly out of the closet, I was already figuring out that my chosen family was going to be paramount to me for the rest of my life. I met my dear friend Sean through my college bud, Jen, and we've been in each other's lives for more than 25 years. Sean jumped to action as soon as he heard about my condition. 
This is Sean Pelkamp, by the way. When Corey had meningitis, there's a story theme. Where to begin? So Corey and I, at that time in our lives, very much were going out pretty regularly to clubs and hanging out and, and dancing and drinking and cavorting with her friends. Corey suddenly wasn't returning phone calls and was nowhere to be found. I get a phone call saying, hey, uh, he is at such and such hospital. They induced a coma, I believe, and that was due to him contracting spinal meningitis. The department also said anyone who came in contact with him in the last 24 hours could also be in danger of having it. And that they needed all the help they could get in getting medication out to people. At that time, social media wasn't quite what it is today. But I started basically calling people and contacting everyone I could think of that we might have had in common who might have seen him the night before and making sure people were getting dosages or were contacting the health department. It was overwhelming, but it was also more overwhelming to think about the fact that my friend was in the state and not knowing when I might see him again and hear him speak again and what that would even look like or feel like. A lot of time passed and eventually he did come out of it. It was overwhelming and just grateful. So grateful. Life is short and I think we're all lucky to be here as long as we are. But it truly is what you make of it in the end. And I don't think Corey has wasted a single moment since opening his eyes. And really, really proud of him and his journey. Anyway, much love and talk to you later. Bye. Okay, so who knows where my meningitis actually came from? Well, here's a little nugget. Joe, my brother who you heard a couple of minutes ago, had meningitis, and was also fighting for his life when he was about nine months old. We learned that my mom could be a carrier and never get meningitis. Yeah, I was with my mom on that Thanksgiving too. But as a dumb 21-year-old, I also did stuff like eat pie off the same fork as my dear heart Rachel. Uh, Friend Rachel, not sister Rachel, as we refer to her in the house. Hello, this is Rachel. Um, Corey was asking us to call and lament on the time he got meningococcal meningitis. Um, I believe it was on Thanksgiving, if I'm remembering this correctly. Corey had come over to my house. Um, we were in college. Some of this is a little fuzzy because it was like 28 years ago. Um, and we were all having pie, um, eating off the same plate, eating off the same fork. Um he goes to leave. Um, a little while later, I get a call that he is in the hospital. So I call Scott, Scott Kastrup, who had, was on his way back to, I think, Kansas City at this time. And he, like, races back, and Corey's in a coma, and everyone's freaking out. And we go to the hospital. I was really scared because, um, I, you know, I was young, but I knew what he had was, extremely dangerous um we get to the hospital and Corey's mom is there and they corral us all because we've had physical contact with him and they give us all a massive dose of cipro which is the antibiotic they give to people who have had like um oh gosh 
I'm trying to remember when you get um, exposure. This is going to make me sound ridiculous. What is this? Anthrax. So they give you, when you get uh, anthrax, they give you Cipro. So that was a beast that made all of us kind of sick while Corey is just lying there getting weaker and skinnier in the ICU. Um, and it was, it seemed like it was forever and it was really, really, really scary. And we were all up there as much as we could be. And he lost a shit ton of weight and finally, you know, came out of it. And we still can make fun of him for it. Um, yeah, I guess it's it. And then I guess a few years ago, a few years ago, I think like 15 years ago, when I first moved to California, uh, we went to sort of a Friendsgiving thing. And I believe, what was I believe, a porno theater or a porno studio? Um, that had lots of fun props, like a pretend jail cell. So um, I don't really love Thanksgiving particularly, but I always love it when I get to spend it with my friends. It's actually pretty cool that Rachel was with me for two milestone Thanksgivings, 25 years ago and 15 years ago. Kendall and I had our first San Francisco Thanksgiving at an artist collective space that, yeah, had filming spaces and sets for adult flicks. Rachel and I washed our hands thoroughly after posing in a movie set jail cell. That was also the first and last time someone served turducken for us, which I think is a chicken stuffed in a duck, stuffed in a turkey, wrapped in a dirty diaper. Anyway, at Porno Thanksgiving, we were all seated Last Supper style, and while I can't remember what the food tasted like, I do remember that my party potatoes was the first dish to go empty. Thank you, Karen Conley, for the recipe. And thank you all for indulging me in this Thanksgiving meningitis story time. One last note, when I woke in the hospital after a week in a drug-induced coma, I pulled the breathing tube out of my throat, opened my eyes, and saw the one, the only, Neil Diamond on the TV as he guested on The View. Now, who else has been able to tell one of their musical heroes that the first person they saw post-coma was them? It was almost 10 years after my recovery, and here is Neil's reaction. Well, on a brief personal note, I just wanted to say yours was the first face I saw after coming out of a coma on TV, so uh, I've always thought you and uh, your songs were good luck to me ever since then. All right, well, that is beautiful to hear. I haven't heard that story. I've heard a lot of stories about and my music before, but that's that's a good one, and uh, thank you for telling it. Okay, bye. Happy Thanksgiving to you all, 